0: Good evening and welcome back to ESP Speaks. As usual, I am so grateful and so honored that you have chosen to return. I'm just happy, happy to be here dispersing the information yet again. It's Black History Month. And for for this Black History Month, I have a suggestion for you. You got four weekends in the month. Why not? Take the little ones and teach them something about the history. I mean really take them out on an excursion and touch something that's in the Black history realm in our Black communities and let them learn and enjoy. Also on a more serious note, family Check the strong people in your lives, because the strong people are usually the ones who are wearing a face that you think is strength. And sometimes they're dying inside. Our communities are going through a tremendous depression. All of us are being hit and affected by this global pandemic by the stresses of what it's done to us financially, what it's done to us physically. And it's, it's all been a little much and people are not talking. In most of my shows, I do always touch on the fact that as a community, we shy away from getting help or psychological help to be more specific. But with this latest death of Miss USA, Um, I'm not gonna pretend to know what her story was, but these young people, sometimes it's just a question of them having someone to reach out to so they don't feel alone. So for those of you who are in need of the service, I'm gonna put the number right here. That is a national hotline that you will always know that there's someone there you can reach out to And for those of you who have access to my social media, I'm always here if you need to talk. Just reach out and we'll find, if I can't help you, we will find a resource that can help you. And on a lighter note, this week um, I got word, finally our new product line is almost done. So yay, in a moment you're gonna be able to have speaks wear. (laughs) I don't know, we're gonna show a couple of samples. You'll be able to have speaks wear and um, support ESP. A lot of you have asked me, what are you gonna do, t-shirt, what are you gonna do? Well, we've done a whole line of stuff. We've done sports stuff, we've done t-shirts, we've done hats, we've done mugs. And we're just so excited about it. And I can't wait for you to see it, but um, they said you're allowed to say it now. So I'm gonna show some pictures in a minute and we're excited about it. Now this week, this is the fun part. This week's top email, and I just thought this was amazing because I hadn't seen it. I'd heard it, but I had to see it. So let me tell you what I'm talking about. This week's top email comes from JFH, you know we don't get the whole name, of Westbury, Long Island, and she says, ESP, my husband and I have a bet going. (laughs) We know that you're a techie, so I know that you know this. Is the woman on top of the building in the Emirates commercial a real person standing in front, standing on top of a real building. Well, JFH, brace yourself because I did some research. Now, as I said, I've heard the commercial in the background, but I'm always doing something. So there's something playing in the background. And I've heard the commercial, but I never really looked at it until you made me look at it. And guess what? It's a real person and yes, she is standing on top of a building, the highest skyscraper in Dubai. It's called Burj Khalifa. She is actually standing on the top of the building and her name is Nicole Smith Ludvig. She's a professional skydiver as well as a professional stunt woman. And it actually took several months to prepare for this shoot because, you know what? I'm gonna show you the research that I found. Take a look at this.
1: Hi, mom. I'm on top of the world.
0: Thank you so much for your email and thanks for writing in and all of the emails keep them coming because you know what we're picking one at least one a month hopefully one every show that we can you know read on air and let you know that we're connecting with you and do tell me who won the bet
2: (laughs) daily gratitude when you are grateful for everything you do have you have no room for negativity, no room for doubt or anxiety. A strong mind is built with goals. Goals that give you a reason to get up out of bed and attack today. A strong mind is built from knowing you are responsible for your life, your results, your success and your failures. A strong mind is built with learning. Learning new things every day on topics that expand your mind and develop your skills. Growth is the key to life. If you are growing and challenging yourself every day, you'll lead a happy life. If you're not, you will suffer. The mind is like a muscle. It gets stronger when you embrace challenges, when you push it to its limits, when you learn what works and apply that to your life. A strong mind is one that surrounds itself with the right people. A strong mind does not let opinions alter its course in life. It follows its own path no matter what. A strong mind is one that visualizes success and is prepared to work to make that picture come to life. A strong mind does not let fear get in the way of success. Strong mind, strong life.
0: Today I get the honor of introducing to you a childhood friend of mine. But as usual, I try to bring you something that is going to open up your minds and show you a sense of joy. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Bishop John Barrier. How are you sir?
3: I'm doing well, thank you for asking. How are you doing?
0: I am spectacular and I think it's phenomenal that you are actually sitting here it's kind of insane because um we grew up together and for me to call you bishop is just it's just not something I'd ever thought
3: I'd be calling you (laughs) well to be honest it's not something that I would think I would be calling myself
0: oh okay well let's let's go let's start with that let's talk about that journey because um we definitely, from the conversations that we have had, we have definitely been on a journey here, the, a baptismal of blood, if you will, on so many levels. First of all, your, your clergy ship, that in itself is a baptismal. But let, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to how you were raised, where you were raised. Tell them, tell them about you. Tell the family about you.
3: Well, as you already know, my name is Bishop John R. Barry. I am from East Elmhurst, New York. I represent New York wherever I go. I had to make that perfectly clear. <laughs> um, my journey is 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 really something that I had to think about when we discussed it, because from where I was into where I am, going from an insecure, who I felt was an ugly little kid, to be quirky and nerdy, to be me that I am right now Mm -hmm. is a journey within itself. But I realized that my plan for myself was not my plan. God's plan for me was his plan. And so I look back and all the things that happened and all the things that transpired that made me who I am today and the ability to accept who I am, right? Yes, uh, I'm I'm a bishop. I, I often say, if we had to introduce ourselves and tell the truth about ourselves, so, this is how it would look to me. Hello, my name is John. I'm a liar. I've cheated. I stole. I've sold drugs. I, I, I've done some things that I'm not pleased about. But, through the grace of God, there go I. See, I realized that when I say those things, nobody wants to really tell the truth on themselves. But I'm comfortable in telling the truth on myself because that's what made me who I am today. But in that, God still saw fit to use me, right? um, brought me out of my sin. Am I perfect? No. Do I always ride the straight and narrow? No, I do not. I, I, we are followers of Christ. And so being a follower of Christ means that you got to keep going. You just can't stop. You can't stay. And by the keep going, that means that when rough things come, That's when you're supposed to call them. And that's when you receive the victory. Sometimes we give up too soon.
0: And here is why I love having ministers on my show. I basically sit still and I let them talk because you're preaching a sermon, uh, which is a good thing. And here's where I'd like this to go. Okay. In you telling us about, so you hit some major points there. The drugs, the not knowing ourselves or yourself in particular. To begin introducing us to that journey, let's go back. Okay. And let's go back to how you were raised. I mean, cause we have your, your dad was one of the most strong people that I know and he was gangster in many ways. In fact, your father in our research was a direct aid to Martin Luther King. So growing up in a family that has such a close tie in the 60s and the 70s to such an important character, that had to have affected you and your brothers in some way. And he was also attached to one of the largest unions in the world, the AFL-CIO. So how did these things affect you and your growth? And on your
3: journey. How do you know how, let, let me talk about gangster when you say my dad. My dad was the most gangsterous person that I know. See, but when people attack gangster, they attack, you know, the stereotype, right? He was, he was both. What I consider gangster in my growing and in my knowledge of myself is, is that he worked three jobs. He worked two during the week and one during the weekend to try to take care of us. And so when you see a man out there working, you are not looking at what he's working at. So in me, it was just normal. So what he was doing and his ability to do things that other people weren't able to do, I couldn't see that because that was my dad and he was my superhero. And so therefore the dysfunction, the, the, the wrong, and all those things I couldn't see it because that was normal place for me.
0: Yes, that was your norm. Okay. So,
3: so in my norm, right? I received some of the attributes. Mm. So a lot of times people don't realize when you have a child, they are always watching. They may not, you may not think that they're watching, they're watching and listening. So they want to try to emulate the things that you do. And in the emulation, we started doing things that he didn't want us to do, but we knew that he was doing.
0: Be specific on that one.
3: Okay. Um, my dad look, is, is a fighter. He's gonna fight you. If you come around there in disrespect, it's not going to be tolerated. So thus, if we see my dad, I've seen my dad beat a couple of people, couple of men up, right. So when you disrespect me, my mindset is that you, you're you going to get what you're going to get. And Jumbo said, you're going to get these hands.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so in terms, um, we, we're able to go places that we shouldn't be. And we don't fit in because of his connections. When you work for a, a, a union, and my dad only had a sixth grade education and became president of his union that was under the AFL-CIO, I don't remember the numbers of his union. But what happened was, we got invited to a to a place in College Point. And when we went in there, it was like a movie because the whole, all of the air went out the room because we're the only black folks in there. And, and this,
0: is, this is when?
3: This is like the 70s, 80s or more the 70s? It's late 70s, late 70s, going into okay. the 80s. Okay. So to just show up somewhere, just me, my father, and my mother, and to hear the air go out of the room because everybody's looking at us, but we were invited. Not because we wanted to go. We were invited, and when you're invited places, you have to show up. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know that when I was a kid. I'm just thinking we're just going to get something to eat, and that's what he spent there, and when he's going to do something, he said, hey, we're going to go X, Y, Z. He never explained what we were doing. See, me being the youngest, I was always stuck in the house and stuck with my mother and father. So a lot of things that he was going to do, that meant that I was going to do. And so that's just normal place for me. I remember me being a little kid, eight years old, maybe eight, ten. I don't remember. I can remember going in there, but no kids was allowed in there. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And me and my dad walk in and we walk past everybody and we walk in the back. They sent me all the way in the other corner and I don't know what they were talking about. But that's not regular behavior. And But in my mind, everything is fine because I'm drinking a soda I'm in, and they gave me some potato chips. I'm having a good time, but not paying attention to what is going on. So therefore, Because you're a
0: child and you shouldn't yeah, be.
3: And I, I, I remember an instance where we were somewhere and I really shouldn't have been there. And they asked him, who is that? He said, that's my son. Don't worry about him. I told him the rules that he knows to keep his mouth shut. Mm -hmm. So I'm not paying attention to this because that's regular behavior. I've never understood when my dad used to tell us, you don't tell on anybody. And I'm talking from little, as soon as you could talk, that was his spiel. You don't tell on anybody. If they catch you doing something wrong, you take the weight for whatever it is that you're doing. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: So. I didn't realize that he he was he was doing something wrong. That was just the rules of our house.
0: Sorry. So all right, Bishop, let let's bring your mother into because we we get the the influence, the heavy influence of the father, okay. which again at that time period there were fathers in the house, especially in the black middle class neighborhoods. Um, what about your mom? Because your mother was a highly educated, multi degree woman. How was her role in all of this, especially with the things that you're saying were going on?
3: So my mother, my father paid for my mother to go to school. My mother was already going to school, but she didn't finish. When she met my father, they got married. And then my dad worked and paid her, paid into her going to school. But mm-hmm. my mom, I believe that she felt like she was a prisoner in our own home because three Three men and one one lady, and we you know we're 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 tearing up my father's house, my mother never beat us. She never that was reserved for my dad,
1: mm.
3: right? Because he was ahead and it takes a man to make a man, so they say. Also, you know, with education, and you're married to somebody that has a sixth grade education, you may want to put them in a lower bracket. But what my dad lacked in education, he had plenty of common sense.
0: Okay, wait, and hold on. Let's go back. You wouldn't want to put them in a the lower bracket. Explain that.
3: Just because you have education doesn't mean that you're above anybody. Because okay. what my dad lacked in formal education, he made up in smarts, in intelligence. And he never, I've never seen my dad down anybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: and he let my mother know in no way, shape, or form that you are smarter or more intelligent than me, and he showed it on a daily basis, and his exact words were to her, is you continuously think that you're better than me That you because you have education right?" he said, but you can't even spell donuts after all this education that you have, so what do you call yourself teaching these children
1: mm-hmm.
3: so it's amazing how you elevate yourself, but somebody lower than you can always bring you down. And oh, dear, Yes.
0: all right. Um, Bishop, Yes. we're gonna take, day. we're gonna take, a, I mean, come <laughs> on, these are sensitive stories to some extent. We're gonna take a very quick break, okay, for identification of our sponsors, and uh, when we come back. Family, we're going to talk about his relationships in the family growing up and the relationships with his brothers. Stick with us, we'll be back in a moment. This is ESP Speaks, and we're talking to Bishop John Barry. We'll be back in a second. Welcome back, family. We're here with Bishop John Barrier. Bishop, let's jump right back in. Where when we left, you were speaking about family dynamics and how they affected you. But I want to take you a little further. I want to take you to a place where everybody knows you, but doesn't realize they know you because there's a direct connection to you, the rap industry, for quite so many years. Let's talk about the relationship with you and your brothers.
3: Okay. So my brother is Eric Barrier, professionally known as Eric B. Um, when I went to college, Eric became famous and became Eric B. Now, Eric always thought that he was gonna be an electrical engineer, but fate would have him go in a different direction. At this time, my mom and dad had separated. Um, now our household is split. And now as men, now we're all men in one household. And with a lot of testosterone comes different entities and different controls that happen. So now, how do I, going to college, and they're going around the world and having a good time, how do I stay focused on college and I want to have a good time?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I want to go, go to the cities. I want to be out there. I want to be known. But when God has a plan for you, he's going to stop you and block you. I said earlier that we were raised as individuals. And so his journey is his journey. Him, and him, Anthony, and Eric were tight. I'm two years younger than Anthony. So the relationship is not there as far as, yeah, we grew up in the house together, but the tightness is not there. See them having good times, they're out and, and on TV, and I'm in school playing football, basketball, and being an athlete, and then finding out that your brother's famous and they're having a good time, but I am stuck in school. How I ended up going to school is, now this is now I'm old enough to be gangster. We had a situation where somebody got the chain taken. In, in Jamaica. So it was Mount Uptown. Everybody went and got their gun. I went and got my gun. I went to get in the car and everybody pulled their gun on me and said, no, you're not doing that. You're not going to do what we're doing. From this point on, you are not, you are down with us, but you're not down. You're an outsider, but an insider at the same time. So any wrongdoing that I normally would participate in, now I'm not eligible to participate in because they say, we see something in you that's going to go somewhere and go places that we can't go. I'm upset. So hold on, let me get
0: this straight. Your gangster brothers and their crews have decided that you are exhibiting something so special that you are not allowed to engage in what they're engaging in. So you have to stay home while they go and do their dirt. Is that what I'm getting?
3: Yes. Okay, and this is a bad thing? In my mind, it was at that time.
0: (laughs) How old were you at this stage of the game?
3: When that happened, I want to say I was like 19.
0: Okay, I could see that.
3: Right. I'm in college. I'm in college. Um, And wanting to be down. And when they ask you, are you riding? There is no no. There's no no. Mm -hmm. Either you're going to get down. Either you're going to get out or you're going to lay down. That was the rules of what we were doing. Now, let me clear this up. My brother Eric did not participate in none of that. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: He did not. But we, as a unit, were capable of doing anything at any time. But once again, my upbringing made it seem that it was normal. You stick with the team. If the team is doing this, you do that. And that's, that's even included in sports. Mm-hmm. So how do, do, do I react to something that I found normal and they're saying, we see something in you that you're not doing this anymore. So we back to school, right? Now I'm crushed because now I'm, I'm not down anymore, right? So now I end up in Atlanta. I would get out there and and, 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 and do what I do. With a, a friend that I grew up with.
0: <laughs> you you do what you do. Okay, so you had your dirt too. Oh,
3: I, listen. If God did not save me, I would be a plant. I should be a plant. And mm. when I say a plant, I should mm. be dead. We got it. Because what happens is you are a creature of your environment nobody is going to go against us.
0: How does all of this play into the natural progression of the girlfriends, we know you did the school, you graduated, how were your relationships with what had been forged into you, how are they developing now? How were the relationships with you and women, with you and other people, with you in the workforce? And at what point do we come back to the church situation?
3: Okay. And through all of this, I went to church.
0: Oh, you were going all the time?
3: Yes. Huh, okay. When, when I, What I was remiss in saying and how I got to be how I am is, when I was 15 years old, I was going to First Baptist Church on the Storia Boulevard. Mm. And God spoke to me and said that I want to use you. So I don't know what to do with that. I go to the pastor of the church and he goes, God didn't call you. So Mix, said, Wait, oh, wait,
0: okay. can I ask which pastor that was?
3: Reverend Mills. <laughs> A few weeks later, he got put out the church for messing with women and all the other stuff. So What ended up happening was that meant to me that I, okay, God didn't call me. He's the man of God. He told me that God didn't call me and he has the ear of God. So that's what I'm going to believe. And then how do you as a pretty much savage have a relationship with young girls that are also trying to find their way? And remember, I said, I thought I was ugly. I was very quirky and nerdy. So And I didn't have the shell Adidas and, and the Lee jeans at that time and the, and the Kangol hat, right? So I had to come into this. So when I went to college, right, and I was working on my own because at 13, my dad said, I'm not giving you anything else. You have to earn everything that you get. That's what men do. So a couple of that with now we're savages telling, being told on two fronts at home, you're a man now. And then when you go, go into church, because that's where I felt God wanted me, and the man of God says, no, you're not called by God. Wow. So where is it that I come in? Because now when you say I'm not called by, by God, that means that it's open season. Now I've been failed on certain fronts. My mom left my dad,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Right. I see my dad. I've never seen him cry before and state how much he loved my mother. Mm. Right? I loved her. This is how she do me. She packed her stuff and left. So now, once again, now I'm experiencing the failure. I'm experiencing the hurt. And how do you deal with that as a young man? The young man, oh no, I'm going to get me a couple of women now. I'm going to show you. I'm going to demonstrate the behaviors of what was in our minds being a man Mm. so now let's take it uh, let me take it a step further because we're going to speak on this what black men have to realize is when they brought us here they would send us in to women to get them pregnant and so you are your behavior is you're going to mess with a whole bunch of women not because you want to but that's what it happens. So that is technically inbred in you because in Africa, if you had the money in some places, not all places, you could have more than one wife. And so you're telling us that something that's inbred and then as soon as trauma hits and all your boys are telling you, I don't know why you get one chick, I got three and four and you could do the same thing. They're not going to know. And so now not realizing that we are tearing down at an early age, the family structure.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think? I I'm to bring you to a place where what was the aha moment you you spoke about going into the church feeling like you belonged there Mm -hmm. and then being told by the clergy that you didn't but he actually didn't either so Obviously, God was still speaking to you on this path because something kept you on the path. So what is the aha moment when you say, you know what, I belong here. I'm going to be here. And everything that has happened is a culmination of where I am right now. What is that moment? And how do we get to The United Methodist training that we have. How do we become a bishop?
3: Okay, I lost my dad. I, I watched him deteriorate. And for him telling me that he didn't want to live anymore. He just thought really getting back, getting into church. And we had a big blowout argument when he said that he didn't want to live anymore. I told him that he lied to me because he was my Superman. And you told me, as long as I had breath in me, that I would, I, I could make it. I could live. And I could point and know that God is working on me. Two weeks later, he died. If two weeks. So now, me being who I was at that point, and somebody was dying every other day, to hear he he died, I couldn't cry. I couldn't cry. I didn't feel no emotion. I didn't, there was nothing. Okay, daddy's dead. The gangster facade is you deal with it. You internalize it.
1: Hmm.
3: But the internalizing, in the midst of it, I'm going crazy. Then my (laughs) uncle, right, Mm -hmm. he steps up and was like my father. He drowns in Mississippi. He drowns. He was fishing and he he tried to get his boat back and went over a cliff that he couldn't see and drowned because he couldn't swim. When they told me at work, I fell on my knees. Standing out there, and I'm saying, God, you know, you know, what is this? I didn't see this coming. What is this right now, God? What is this that you're doing to me? The internalization. And I end up going to a church, and that preacher was poking. Me in my head and everything that he said, it was just like he just kept poking me, poking me, co- poking me, poking me.
0: We're talking physical or literal? Poking literal, literal. Okay. No,
3: no, no, that, that, that wouldn't happen. Okay,
0: you know, you did say you were down south. It could have been physical, but no, ahead.
3: no, that wouldn't have went too bad. I began to cry like I was a five year old. And so at that moment, God said to me, he said, I had to break you all the way down, Mm. all the way down, because I could use you. But I couldn't use you in the state that you were in. So I brought you to through being ugly. I brought you through your parents not getting along in dysfunction. I brought you through being shot at in Atlanta. I brought you through all of these things because I need you and I could use you, even though you can't see that I could use you, because I'm the dirtiest thing in sight. Yeah. And now you're saying, God, I could use you.
1: I ended up coming to Maryland.
3: And I went. We are going on a cruise. We went on the cruise and came back. Before I went on the cruise, I went to church. Church is a focal point; always been a focal point of my life. We, uh, the Reverend Doctor Eddie Smith, who, who is my pastor. So, what ended up happening was he was in the pulpit, and he said, "Some of y'all are called by God, but y'all are not going to answer." He went to take a step. Into Back up to his pulpit He stepped on that first step And turned around Because I said God you know you said you're going to use me What about me As soon as I said that he turned around and said I want you in the pulpit next Sunday yeah. You think I went in that pulpit
1: No ma'am I did not
3: For three Sundays I was disobedient Because I didn't feel like I was worthy I didn't feel that God told me he could use me, but I thought he was going to use me to talk to some young kids in the street or something like that.
0: So you basically so, wanted him to use you in the way that you wanted to be used, not as how he wanted to use you. Isn't that always the plan? Uh, okay. So let, let, me, let me interject here. Let, let me ask you this once again. You've given us a, a journey pattern because yes. these are all, all of these things are baptismals. Yes. All of them are going through something to come out and be something else. Yes. That is what a baptismal is. And that's what a lot of folks don't understand. They mm-hmm. think it's just religious. We go through baptismals every week and don't understand the significance. And why we have to do so. What are we telling the young men? With regard to your journey. What are we telling the young men today. That are watching this show. About holding on. Sticking to. And following the plan. What are we saying to them. In looking at your journey.
3: The, the Bible says that I know the plans that I have for you. Not to do evil. But to prosper you. See, God is telling you that he has a plan for you. See, but we are so influenced about we want the gold chain, we want the money, we want the women, we want to sip syrup and lean or whatever y'all call it. But God has a purpose for your life. And if he's telling you that he has a plan for you and all you have to do is not fall to the negative influences. A lot of these young men know some friends that are in prison right now. Mm -hmm. And you told them, don't go over there with them dudes because they wild right? But they're making money. The attraction, the lure of money is what causes young folks sometimes to do what they do. They're wanting to feel apart because their family is broken, because there's no father in the home, and they don't want to listen to their mother because their mother is is going off because you're staying out all night. And you are trying to figure a way out when you don't think that there's a way, but when you link yourself into God, when God speaks to you, you're thinking, ah, that sounds crazy. But what God does is he says something crazy to confound the wise. Your journey is your journey because God is going to have you somewhere looking and saying, how did I get here? I'm talking, I'm talking about myself and I'm speaking to you. How can a guy that had a journey where everything could have ended in one day, but God continuously brought him out. Because he told them that he called him, but I had to go through some things. The Bible says after you've suffered a while and after you prayed a while, then you're ready. So you're in the oven. God is cooking you and basting you and preparing you for something greater. And you have to be prepared to accept it because you hear God's voice, but you don't know it's God because you want to ignore it because it sounded so square.
0: In this day and age where having to get up on Sunday morning and go to Sunday school and go to church with the family and the lack of family dinners and the lack of the family unit, all are present. How do you believe that the the young people, the young men, young women of today, and when I say young people, I'm talking about anyone 50 and under, Anyone 55 and under, how about just people in general? Do you think that they can really hear God's voice right now? Do you think that they're even believing in God, a higher being, someone above them? For you to be saying what you're saying right now in terms of delivering a message? Because you're delivering a message. I mean, I bought you on for a reason. Because the family that you're talking to has a tremendous lack of hope. And at this point, we have responsibility to give them something to reach up and reach out to. But I ask you as a minister, as a bishop, as a higher clergy
3: in the church.
0: Are people still hearing God?
3: People are still hearing God, but they don't want to listen.
0: Hmm. Do they even know what he sounds like anymore?
3: They know who God is. That, okay. voice that, you, that voice that you hear when you may do something wrong or say something wrong, those seven-second pause before you go and says you don't, Now you shouldn't do that, but you go ahead and do it anyway. See, that was God telling you, don't do that. Mm. Don't do that because you did it before and what happened before. See, it's easy to say that I can't hear God. God doesn't answer my prayers. Where was God? I'm, I'm going to hold back on that because that, that's going to set it to a totally different direction.
0: Uh, well, no, well, you're there. We're on a okay. whole different subject. Let's okay.
3: go. Where was God when they were molesting me? Mm. Where was God when I didn't have a father and I was hungry? Where was he? God, where were you when I needed you and I was at my lowest point and you didn't come get me? You are supposed to save me. You are supposed to be a loving God. But every time I called on you, You don't never show up and you don't never do nothing to to help me. And now I'm wondering, how is it that I'm going to go on? How is it that I'm going to move forward and then believe in you and you haven't done anything for me? Let me tell you very simply, where was God? He was carrying you. He brought you out of the molestation. See, what people confuse is, is that God has given us free will. Mm -hmm. See, in that free will, that person that did that to you was exhibiting their free will, but they were broken. They were broken, just like you're broken right now. You want to blame that person right now. You're mad at somebody that did something to you 40, maybe 30 years ago or five months ago or a minute ago. And you're saying, where's God? He's carrying you. That day when you said that you didn't want to wake up, you didn't want to get out the bed. I don't know how I'm going to do it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So if God is saying all these things, and every time something bad happens, you have to realize to stop looking at what's bad that's happening in your life and what is God trying to show you and trying to tell you. See, our focus is always focused on the wrong. We, We gravitate towards bad. We see somebody getting beaten up. We don't want to help them. We want to film them there. We want to laugh at them because we want to elevate ourselves above somebody, knowing that we don't feel good about ourselves. So when the spotlight is on somebody else, that means that it's not on us.
1: Mm.
3: And how we feel about ourselves is okay because look at what's happening to them. See, that wouldn't happen to me because I would have did this and I would have did that. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback and say what you're going to do until that moment comes. Are you up for the moment? Mm. Are you just going to blame God like you've been doing. But he's shown you and bought you out so many times before when you didn't have money for your cell phone bill. Some kind of way you got the money and kept your cell phone bill. In. When you didn't have gas in your car. and some kind of way, somebody put, gave you some money and put gas in your car. See, he makes a way out of nowhere. What's conceptual to us of no way, that means that God's, our extremities is God's opportunity. Mm. See, When we think that we've gone so far, we're so dirty, we're so nasty, we're so filthy, that God can't do nothing with us. To us, the Bible says we are filthy rags to God. But that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, because we've been bought with a price. Let's provoke thought. You feel like there's no way. Mm -hmm. I would guide you and challenge you to do the the thing that made me and put me on this path. I did not say anything about God. I was drinking seven days a week. I said, I'm gonna stop drinking. I stopped drinking. All my friends turned on me because I wasn't drinking. I said, I wanted to be a better person. When I said, I wanted to be a better person. God said, oh, okay. You want to be a better person, but I'm going to add to you. Oh, that calling I told you at 15, that grace and mercy that I've been extending to you, that bill is now due. When I'm crying in that church and I didn't have any direction, I didn't have a way. And he says, now I could use you. I'm broken. I'm busted. I'm disgusted. I'm forcing myself to be homeless when I didn't have to force myself to be homeless. My mental state was gone. But I ended up at church and God spoke directly through the preacher to me. And he said, I'm going to use you. I'm going to show you. And he's showing me who he is. Here I am. Did I want to give up? Yes. Did I want to turn around and go back to my old ways? Yes. But how can I give up on somebody that never gave up on me? Well. How? See, it's a rhetorical question because you think that today just might be your last day. See, because somebody watching is thinking about killing themselves. You think that today is going to be the last day. Let me guide you to something. You, you, you ain't never died before. And so why die when God has given you life? If you're at the end of your rope, hold on and tie a knot in it. Help is on the way. You tell God about it. See, people want to give God a soliloquy. Father, up on high. I want you. I need you. It's not, don't take all that. Don't take all of that. You're in emergency. Less is more. God, I need you right now. I need you right now. You said that you would never leave me nor forsake me. I need you right now. Call him on his word. I dare you to call him on his word. The thing that we, as young men, and men in general, have to realize: you need God in all situations. Every situation, you need God. You might want to detract them. You might want to say, "Well, I don't need them." Every time I forgot about God, and I'm the whole bishop, I'm thinking I'm I'm something. God comes in and says, "Hey, hey, uh, take that." And I'm looking like, okay, God, what, what, what was that? Remember me? One that you said that you were going to serve, you were going to follow? Yeah, me. That grace and mercy that extended to you has a Christ. And I don't never think that I would be able to pay it, but I continuously try to push forward and strive towards the mark because as much wrong as I've done, it has a cost and has a co- consequence. But just like all of us, the Bible says you're going to scarcely get in. Don't be sitting here thinking there's no hell. I want you to. don't Don't think that. Because the devil is real. He shows up every day and shows up in people that are right around you to keep you in bondage. And keep you believing that there's no God. And keep you in what happened to your family is going to happen to me and It's called the interdimensional curse, and somebody's going to have to break it, and that somebody has to be you. You are a leader. You are going to be victorious, and the only thing you have to do is start sending God some email.
0: All right, Bishop. So you managed to get me from point A to point Z. And I guess now we have asked the que- answered the question as to how you have become Bishop John Barrier. I didn't intend for you to give a whole sermon, but you know what? I've learned in this uh, game to let just let it flow because as you said, someone needed that and that was not my doing okay. it to stop that flow but I do want to ask you this with regard to the family because you the you touched on the hopelessness the depression which we're all suffering some sort of grieving state especially in this pandemic is there any final word because we do have to tie this journey up unless there's something else you want to add Is there any final word that you want to give to the family in terms of everything that's happening current day?
3: Do you realize that what's going on, this COVID-19, is what would be considered a plague? Mm. This is not just a happenstance. See, what happened was, if it's industrialized or whatever, I don't know. I can't say if it is or it isn't. But what happens is now, God has shut the whole world in. He has instilled a fear of something that we cannot see, but we see the end result of it. And you're asking yourself, how is it that I stayed in the house and I still got COVID? Have you ever considered that God is saying this, like you got COVID, but maybe what I was trying to give you was Christ? Let me say it one more time. You got COVID and you stayed in the house. Have you ever considered what God was really trying to get, do is get your attention and give you Christ? See, we also don't want to say that this is a plague. We've heard, everybody that's read the Bible has heard about the plague and, and how they watched the bloodstained banner across the door and, and and the plague passed over. See, but the plague is hitting everybody. This is not just a United States thing. This is a global, they call it a pandemic because they don't want to say plague because when you say plague, that means that it's biblical. Hmm. So why is God allowing this to happen? Because now God says, I have to get your attention because y'all going too far. You're disrespecting your mother and your father. You're out there twerking. You got your pants hanging off your behind. You 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 saying and doing any other any old thing that you want, and then when you get punched in the mouth, somebody watches you and filming, you get punched in the mouth. We're getting killed at epic proportions. And the minute that the police kill somebody, you want to be upset about that. But what about Pookie and Knucknuck that just shot somebody on the corner that you act like they're your hero? See, God is not pleased with how this world is going. But the minute you realize that. God said, i got to put you out on the timeout. i got to put you out on punishment because I want you to be saved. The Bible says that I will not end this world until everyone has an opportunity to know about me. This right now is your opportunity to gravitate towards God. I'm not saying that you have to be a Christian. I'm not saying that you have to be a Muslim. I'm not saying that I'm trying to pick your religion for you. But what I have to tell you is, is that you have to choose something. And if you're not choosing something, you're going to continue to get what you've been getting. I know somebody that can give you something beyond checks. I know somebody that's changed my life. Where well, I could have been a plant or in prison for a lifetime sentence. The way my life was going. Yes, I had a mother. Yes, I had a father. But the way I was taught was you do what you have to do to survive. So in my teaching of doing what I had to do, I had to realize that I needed to put God in my midst. And the minute I accepted that God needed to be in my midst, everything started to turn around. Everything started to work for my good. I don't fall down, I fall up. See, yes, something bad happens, right? And then people point and laughing, but guess what? God said, I will bless you in front of everybody. Those that laughed at you, those that ridiculed you, those that had you feeling like you're not worth anything. Let me tell you something. Let me bring it to you and let me tell you the truth. All those things that people said about you, how you're not going to be nothing, you're just like your daddy, you're a loser, you're a quitter, you should forget about it, you should just, just pack it in and quit. What did God say about you? He said that you are wonderfully and perfectly made. He said that you are the head and not the tail. You are a lender, not a borrower. And the only thing God is asking you to do is give him some praise. Have some conversations with him. And see, when you start having conversations with God, when you start saying, hey, God, (coughs) excuse me, hey, God, what do you think about this? He's going to open that door for you. He's going to show you the way. I've said earlier, he is the way, the truth, and the light. That light that's in your mind, that that, that vision that you have for yourself, you should believe that vision. But the mistake that we are making as people are we keep listening to what people say and they don't have the power or they don't have the heaven or hell to put you in. And when they tell you what you're not and you tell them your idea and and they say, that's not going to work. That sounds stupid. And then you give up. You say, well, they told me it's not going to work. They told me that's stupid. Guess what happens? A few weeks later, or a few months later, or a few years later, you see somebody that had the same idea that you had, but they didn't listen to the people. Stop calling people and start praying to God. If God has given you a dream and God has given you a vision, it's going to be something that you do so easily that it doesn't feel like work. Mm. Trust God. He will not lie to you. God is not a man that he could lie or even the son of man that he should repent. So I'm saying to you in a nutshell and in conclusion, you've tried everything else. Won't you give God another shot? Won't you give him another opportunity to come in? Speak in power and call God at his word. He said that I know the plans that I have for you not to do evil towards you but to do what? To prosper you. I'll buy that every day of the week because I've seen him do it. But let me give you one last thing and then I'm going. <laughs> you say, well, I, somebody's saying, well, I get some of the blessings from God but I don't get the complete blessing from God. Let me tell you why. First of all, Some of us act as our representatives. Our representative is somebody that we're really not, but we use them to block the pain that we felt. So God is blessing the representative because that's who you say you are. But you're getting some of your blessings, but not the complete blessing because you didn't do the one thing that God has instructed us to do to receive a full blessing. Forgive others as the Father in heaven has forgiven you. Mm. And that is the anchor around all of our necks. Mine too. I am not exempt. Learn to forgive. And keep it. Move it.
0: And there you have it, family. Bishop. Yes. Wow. Okay. This, this went in a whole other direction, but it's all good. It's all good. I thank you for your words,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I thank you for your time and your journey. Thank you so much for coming and and spending the time with us. I told you it wasn't going to be so bad. You you don't like doing interviews. This was pretty pretty nice. You did a good job. <laughs> thank you. And we'll look forward to having you back at some point to tell us how your progress is with the organization.
3: Um. Now, listen, when you ask me to come back, I'm going to come back. Because I'm sure that there's more that you needed me to say and more to me than I didn't have the opportunity to say, but that would have been like a five-hour thing. Well,
0: exactly. Everything in its time. But in the meantime, family, we appreciate you being here as well. Thank you so much for being not just ordinary, but extraordinary. We'll see you next time on ESP Speaks.